Welcome, Sound City Bible Church. Welcome, Martha Lake Baptist Church. My name's Shane. I'm one of the pastors at Sound City, and I want to welcome you to perhaps one of the strangest Good Friday services that at least I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. Not really strange in the sense that the biblical event that we'll be considering tonight is altogether that different, uh, or that the themes or topics are different than what we might normally be talking through on a night like tonight, but strange in that we're not able to do that together, not in the truest sense, not in um, not in the sense that we're able to really be together in person, uh, grieving together and finding hope together in light of what Jesus was accomplishing for us on that day. So what is Good Friday? Well, simply put, it's that day that over 2,000 years ago, um, that Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord, was crucified, where he was crucified for uh, our sins, you and me. That day when he was beaten, when he was spit on, when he was murdered, uh, because of me, because of me, because of you. And because of our sins, because of our sinful rebellion um, against our Creator and God. And this is why we grieve Good Friday, right? We grieve on Good Friday because we're the ones that put Him there. Our sinful choices, yours and mine, nailed Him to that cross. We were there. That's what we did. But there's a reason that we call Good Friday good. In Ephesians 1, uh, verse 7, Paul tells us that it is in him, in Jesus, that we have redemption through Jesus' blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So Good Friday is good because in it we discover this great truth That in Jesus' death, our sins are paid for, our sins are forgiven. So as we reflect tonight on what Jesus did for us 2,000 plus years ago on that Friday, the theme of forgiveness ought to ring in our ears and then plant itself in our hearts. And as we consider how God would have us live in response to our forgiveness we do well to remember that the forgiveness we've received isn't meant to be an end in itself. Instead, it's meant to be a model for us as well. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. Let me read it again. That we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. Church family, Good Friday is good because in it we find hope. In it we find the forgiveness of our sins for those who have faith in Jesus, those who have trusted him with their lives. And in light of this good news, may we remember that We have always been forgiven of more than what God is asking us to forgive in another. We have always been forgiven of more 
then God is asking us to forgive in another. Let's pray together. God, uh, we mourn tonight. We grieve tonight. The choices that I've made, the choices that um, many uh, within range of my voice tonight, that they've made, put you on the cross, put the nails in your hands and in your feet, caused you to be beaten, caused you to be spit upon, caused you to be murdered. And you did this willingly. You allowed this willingly because of your love for me, your love for the others who you would draw to faith in you so that they might be forgiven of their sins and have the hope of eternal life. Lord God, may we not take for granted what you did for us. May we live in light of what you did for us. And may this not just be some rote thing that we get to do each year, but in this event that we remember tonight and in the Lord's Supper, communion that we take almost every Sunday of the year, may these things collectively remind us of these truths. That you came while we were still sinners, that we might have forgiveness of our sins through your death. We love you, Lord God. Be with us and lead us and protect us tonight as we work through all this together, as we worship our way out of what we did to put you on that cross. So be with us tonight and each day after. And lead us, Lord God, through the power of your Spirit. And we pray all this through your Son, Jesus, and by the leading of your Spirit. Amen. Love you, church. The concept of forgiveness is at times beyond mental grasp for me. The difficulty that I have in understanding it is only amplified as I reflect on how forgiveness is held in parallel to the work of Christ as he hung on a Roman cross on a mission to bring absolution to the cosmic iniquities of man against the eternal Father of light. As beautiful as the cross is as a symbol of our freedom and hope, it is to me equally dark and gruesome. For as it says in Scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Our Lord was not just everyone, however. He was not a thief or a robber or a criminal of any sort worthy of crucifixion. He was perfection. He was sinless. He was a holy God who became unseated from his throne and ascended to his fallen creation as a humble man dressed in rags, willing to serve and forgive the very people who would be inclined to pick up a stone to throw at him. He gave himself up knowing our full story from the beginning to the end with all the brokenness and sin laced within it. Story is in my eyes one of the most powerful tools we have to relate to one another as humans. As we play out our individual narratives, we look to use story to understand others and assign meaning to the complex world around us. If I had to assign a meaning or phrase to encapsulate the totality of my story, I would argue with passion that forgiveness would be a fitting theme throughout. I grew up in an environment that was hostile and chaotic. Love at the hands of my supposed protector was manifested in ways that were beyond the opposite of that word's definition. To simplify, I endured years of what could easily be labeled as continuous abuse and exposure to trauma. At the age of 17, I escaped that environment and enlisted to be a rifleman in the United States Marine Corps. 
The three months that I spent in boot camp in the Marine Corps Sacred Halls in San Diego was the most freedom I had ever experienced in my life. After my completion, I was assigned to my first and only infantry unit in Hawaii and immediately began training to deploy to combat six months later. I loved what I did and ended up staying for a total of eight years, two of those spent in combat zones and then excursions around Asia and the Pacific region. If I was to have identified with a religious affiliation, I would have always said I was a Christian, although I never understood what that really meant. Growing up, Christianity was used as a tool to discipline and enslave me, and I was under the impression that if I just said I believed in Jesus, I would be saved from the eternal punishment that was so often threatened to me if I did not fall in line. Hell didn't seem like really a cool thing, so I went along with it out of fear. If an outsider, although, would have looked into my life, I would have easily been labeled as one of those who bring negative attention to the church. I lived the sort of life where someone could easily say, how could someone call themselves a Christian, yet commit so many sins? And they would have been accurate, for the word many is an understatement. The Marine Corps infantry is a modern-day warrior culture. Mental and physical resiliency are paramount, and sensitivity and emotions are a weakness, for they get men killed in combat. My early conditioning formed me to be emotional and sensitive, and I had to learn to adapt to the environment and mask my true nature. Alcohol became an early way to cope with the darkness of my profession and with the deep pre-existing trauma that I was unaware of. Alcohol was only the beginning, however. Within those eight years, I lived a fast-paced and sinful life full of partying and promiscuity. As my career progressed and I climbed up in the ranks, my mental health took a steep decline. I developed an eating disorder and then had a mental breakdown and was suicidal during a training cycle for my fifth deployment. I ended up losing my position as a leader and finishing my eight years as an empty shell of a man that I once was. I left the service in the summer of 2015 and became involved with drugs. At first, they became a part of the hedonistic partying lifestyle that I was accustomed to. Then they took hold of me and spiraled out of control. A habit led to my deeper involvement, and I was quickly on my way to distributing and transporting them. The eating disorder that I left the service with grew out of hand, which combined with heavy drug addiction destroyed what was left with my body. Within seven months from my discharge, I was extremely malnourished and did not have the desire to live anymore. The multitude of mistakes and failures throughout my life weighed me down and left me in a constant spiral of shame and disassociation. I was given an ultimatum by a therapist that unless I was to receive immediate medical care, I would likely not live much longer. So, through the prompting of the God that I did not yet know, I checked myself into a residential treatment facility for anorexia and bulimia. As my body detoxed from drugs, I began to come to reality for the first time in a few years. My body was in such poor condition that it took me three months before it would properly accept nutrition. I was compliant with my treatment plan, but was devastated that all my prior methods of coping had been stripped away. Five months later, I was released from treatment, but was far from okay. My physical health was fine, but mentally I was worse than when I started. A few weeks later, I tried to take my life twice. Both attempts obviously failed. What I did not know, however, was that my very desire to die was about to be quickly reversed. I was going to soon know what it would mean to truly be alive. Not long after my first attempt did God intervene within my life in a way that was so supernatural and profound, it is still shocking to me to this day. The event that I experienced on the 20th of June 2016 was the very definition of forgiveness. 
it would not do justice to simplify the complexity and beauty of my salvation experience within the short amount of time that I have left, but it was powerful enough to shake me to my core and leave me in tears for hours upon end. I had been restored since that day and had been in recovery from addiction and eating disorders for almost four years now. I struggled to acknowledge the little bit of agency that I had within my story in light of the hand of God that intervened before I tried to write its last word. It is hard for me not to look back and still feel elements of shame and grief of the magnitude of my sin. I sometimes reflect on how I once was, and still am in my darkest moments, no different than one of the Roman soldiers nailing Jesus to the cross. Yet he still loves me, and perfections in all. I share my story without the seeking of sympathy or attention. I share it with joy because it was a gift in a way. As much pain and heartache as there is within it, I am grateful that I was blessed with it. For my life is a living testimony a living testimony of how God is willing to save the worst of us. On this day I look to the cross for hope and look to Jesus with awe and reverence, with tears of joy, but also with sorrow. His punishment was not necessary, yet it has become a gift to us all, one that we have to do no work for, so that he may be glorified. For as it is written by the Apostle Peter, Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And from the Apostle Paul, a man whose experience of forgiveness I look to constantly for hope, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would, would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hey friends, uh, Pastor Aaron from Sound City here, and as we've been reflecting this evening on the nature of God's forgiveness, we're also reminded that when we receive forgiveness from God, we are called to then go and give forgiveness to others. And I think for many of us, um, we know that cognitively, but in the moment, it can be hard to make that connection in our hearts. When we have been hurt by somebody, when we've been wronged by somebody, there's an instinctual reaction to withhold forgiveness, or maybe even worse, to want to take vengeance. It reminds me of the the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. In that parable, there's a servant who who receives forgiveness from the king of an unpayable debt, an unpayable amount of money. And in the story that Jesus tells this parable, the servant walks out of that meeting, runs into someone who owes him a day's wages, a day's worth of money, and begins to choke him and demand forgive, uh, demand payment and, and withholds forgiveness from this other servant. And, and, and in this story, obviously, we're not given all the full motivations uh, of this unmerciful servant, but I think it's fair to say that this is not someone who has taken a moment to pause and consider to reflect upon the forgiveness that he has just received. He just reacts. He just acts out of this impulse and this instinct to say, you need to pay me back what you owe. And friends, I don't know about you, but I know in my own heart, I am prone to that. I'm prone to not remember the forgiveness that I've been given when it comes time to forgive others who have hurt me. And so here's what we want to do for the next few minutes. We want to do 
what Jesus so often encourages us to do when he tells parables or when he teaches. He says things like, let those who have ears hear, or, or uh, consider this or or even when we celebrate communion in a few moments you know we're going to celebrate communion and and the words of the apostle paul in 1 corinthians 11 that we often read say that we are to reflect and we're to take time to examine our hearts and so here's what we're going to do you should have maybe some paper and a pencil or a pen something to write with and, and the musicians are going to lead us in a song that is most likely unfamiliar to most all of you it's a newer song. We're not intending for this time uh, to be a time where you jump in and start singing along. We intend for this time, while the musicians sing this song, to be a time of reflection and writing. And so over the next three or four minutes, I'd encourage you, maybe on one side of the paper, you want to just write down those things in your own life that you know that God has forgiven you for. Those things that you have received great mercy from the King of Kings, the one that we owed an unpayable debt to. And then on the other side of the paper, maybe you want to start writing down those things where unforgiveness in your heart might want to creep in towards another person. This is a time to repent of that, to reflect on that as we prepare our hearts to celebrate communion here in a few minutes. And Pastor Jason will lead us in that time. So I want to encourage you now to to begin to quiet your heart before the Lord to begin to to reflect and to think on the nature of the forgiveness that you have received from God and the forgiveness that he wants you to give to others. Lord, I ask and I pray right now as we prepare our hearts to reflect, would you remind us of the great mercy, the great forgiveness that we have received from you? And would you help us, Lord, as we reflect to make that connection in our own hearts and in our own lives with the forgiveness that we need to offer to others? Would you help us to be reflective? Would you help us to be sober-minded? Would you help us to be honest in our own hearts and our minds as we come before you now? We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Hi, church. So good to be with you on this Good Friday as we celebrate Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf. I want to read a few verses with you from Luke chapter 23. And at this point in Luke's account of the crucifixion, Jesus had already been betrayed. He had been arrested. He had been mocked and beaten, put on trial, falsely accused. He had been scourged. And he was being led to the place of the crucifixion. And Luke tells us that two others... Criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered rebuking him. 
Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. In this account of Christ's crucifixion, we see the two criminals hanging on either side of Christ. And they really do remind us of our own need for salvation. They remind us that we too are sinners against God. We too deserved uh, the ultimate punishment for rebelling against the holy and righteous God. And yet Jesus took our place. And our response needs to be the response of the second criminal. One who looked at Christ in his love, in his sacrifice, and cried out for mercy from Christ. And that's what Jesus does offer. Forgiveness. Mercy. Even as he saw those uh, soldiers crucifying him, Jesus called out, Father, forgive them but they do not know what they are doing. Jesus offers us the same, the same forgiveness through his sacrifice. And so tonight, we get to celebrate and commemorate that sacrifice through communion. And since we've already had time to reflect, to confess our sin, we're going to do communion all together. And so now I want you to take your bread and remember that the bread, it symbolizes the body of Christ. The body of Christ that was broken, broken for us, bearing our sins, and he on the cross, bore our sins. So let's take and remember the body of Christ broken. Now I want you to take your fruit of the vine. This represents the blood of Christ spilled. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins can be washed. We can be made white as snow. So let's remember and celebrate the blood of Christ as we take this together.
Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was holy and righteous, and in his obedience, he suffered punishment on our behalf. That as he hung on that tree with his body broken, his blood being spilled, he did so for your glory through the redemption of your people. And we do proclaim our faith in him and our thanks to you for the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, and the sacrifice that brings us peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us this evening, friends. I hope and I pray that your heart is built up and encouraged in the forgiveness that we have been given by our Savior Jesus. And I hope and I pray that you are um, empowered by Christ and by the Holy Spirit to go and live a life that shows forgiveness to others. And so my prayer for us is that this would be not just an idea, but it would be a reality in our hearts and in our lives. And I want to encourage you through the rest of this evening and tomorrow on Saturday to just remain in a posture of reflection, remain in a posture of humility, remain in a posture of waiting as we prepare to celebrate the most uh, incredible thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice that Christ is risen and all of his claims to forgive us are true. And in, in this time of waiting, let's maintain a posture of humility and gratitude for the forgiveness that we've received. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this gathering. I thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, uh, we long for the day when we can be together again in person, celebrating and rejoicing uh, the fact that you have forgiven us and we can live lives of forgiveness toward each other. And right now, Lord Jesus, I ask and I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to um, just fill us afresh and that we would be reminded of our unity that we have because what Jesus did for us on the cross. Be with us, I pray. Help us to live lives of forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.